Welcome to the Redemptification Podcast, where we focus on inspiring people and communities and starting conversations around the topic of redemptification. Redemptification we define as the creative work of redeeming a person or place to its intended beauty and glory. I'm your host, John Marsh, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ty Maloney. Well, welcome to the Redemptification Podcast. I've got another fun one for us today. I have got one incredible and crazy human visiting me today. I love this guy. Uh, he's part cowboy, part businessman, guru, part philosopher, and all around interesting. With the love for building and making stuff, impact, and uh, and doing good in the world, you're going to have an interesting time listening to him. This is Pete Oaks, founder of and chairman of Capital Three, an impact investment company in the U.S. and Central America. Um, Pete is so unusual. He speaks so many different um, languages when it comes to business and life and work and meaning. And his framework of social, spiritual, and economic capital has impacted me and our team and the work we do in the world deeply. And I know today you're going to be blessed, challenged, and scratching your head a little bit after we get a chance to talk to him. Thanks for joining us today, Pete. John, it's great to be here. Uh, I do think you read the bio from last week's guy. <laughs> well, I'm not sure that's, uh, that. I'm mean, that's not me, so it must be the last week's guy. It, yeah, yeah, it kind of was like last week's guy. You know, most people do start a seat manufacturing company an electric wiring harness company, and a, a Rio Energy hydropower company. So it's pretty common. I mean, I, it could have been last week's guy. <laughs> well, you know, that's uh, the way it is. <laughs> Pete's calling us today from Wichita, his home. And I met Pete through some common friends, Jess Carell and uh, Wes Perry. And he's just... Um, He's just one of the most unusual guys. He's encouraged Ash and I. We had the pleasure of on our mentor road trip a while back, spending a couple of days with him. And he just blessed our socks off him and Deb, talking to us, encouraging us. And uh, I know you're going to love our talk today. So, Pete, this framework you've come up with over years of doing push-ups in your own businesses, social, spiritual, and economic capital, Tell us a minute about this. How did you get here? I mean, how, how in the world did you wrestle down the truth into these categories? And then we'll talk today about how you apply it a little bit. Yeah. John, I think it probably all started. Uh, I got out of college. I spent eight years in the commercial banking business. I'm from a farm family. I came from a very entrepreneurial family. So I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I did the entrepreneur gig. It started at 30 and at 40, I woke up and realized I'd been successful, but I wasn't very satisfied. So it began this whole question in my mind, what really is the purpose of business? And thank, thank God I had some, uh, two very instrumental mentors in my life who over the next few months just kind of worked that through with me. And it boils down to this. Um, People think that the purpose of business, the traditional reason or purpose for business is to maximize shareholder value. Uh, Milton Friedman won a Nobel Prize on that very statement, okay? 
I, I believe that's not bad, but I believe as Christians, there is much more than just maximizing shareholder value. I believe business should be a, what I call a catalyst for flourishing. Hmm. Okay. And if you're going to flourish, you, you really need three things. And, and these three things are talked about in Genesis 2, 15 through 18. It's uh, after God uh, created Adam, but before the fall. And it says, uh, verse 15, uh, God put man in the garden to work. And guess what's going to happen if you work? You're going to have material provision. That's the first thing we all need for flourishing. The second thing, verse 18, not good to be alone. You need a helpmate. Second thing we need is deep, authentic relationships, okay? And thirdly, uh, in verse 16 and 17, it says, by the way, don't eat of the fruit of those trees, that, that tree over there, because then you'll know the difference between good and evil. You'll become like God, as it were. It's the first time God gave us commandment. It's the, he gave us a moral code to operate in. Now, as Christians, well, we know there are two really key things to that. One is faith in this guy, Jesus. And the second is living according to God's word. Okay. So three things you need. You need to be really short and blunt. You need money. You need friends. You need Jesus. Okay. <laughs> if you've got those three things. It's going to be working pretty darn good. Yeah, everything is working really good. So as a business guy and, and, and talking to business people, we, put the, we couch those in business terms. We call material provision economic capital. We call relationships, social capital, and we call uh, a, a relationship with Jesus spiritual capital. So the purpose of our business, which happens to be called Capital Three, <laughs> is to create economic, social, and spiritual capital to be a catalyst for flourishing. Mm. That just nails it. I mean, I think that you've gotten a framework that's taken you years to kind of, I know, work out to something that that gives us this clarity of a a vision, but it, it is true. And what you're talking about, so you're talking about business where we don't say, hey, these are all nonprofits. They, they're, they're simply here to do, do good, but they don't make any money. They're like a, a fig tree that don't make figs, but it's fine. You know, or it's just not all about money and, and uses people instead of cares for them. And all this rolls up into a, a, a vision for the future that's like his kingdom come, his will be done. So it's, it's really a way to look at business and life. I mean, your first book, High Impact Life, I think is the overarching philosophy behind this, like how you got to the philosophy. And your next book I know that's coming is going to be a high impact business that takes and drills this down specifically and how you apply this in business. Um, yeah. So how do you, how do you, how did you see this come to pass in your own businesses? How have you experienced this flourishing as you put these three areas and focused on them in your business? Yes. Um, it's interesting. So during the nineties, we, uh, I started a little investment banking company in 1980. And then about eight or 10 years in, I violated the number one rule of business. And that is don't fall in love with your inventory. Okay. And well, we had this inventory of businesses that we couldn't sell, but I thought they were great businesses. So we started buying these businesses and they did really well for us. We, um, we fell into the trap of the leveraged buyout. If you remember that in the 90, 1990s, you put a little down, you leverage it a lot, you run it hard, you, you cut it, all the expenses, you maximize profit. And in four or five years, you flip the thing and make a lot of money. 
we did that a number of times and were successful at that. But after we sold these businesses, we had tried to inculcate this different kind of culture in these businesses. But when we sold them four, five, six years out, um, within a year or two, I had our old employees that were still at the business just calling me, crying, literally, Pete, this is terrible. These, these new people have totally stripped out what's going on. So I began to say, um, and I'm a believer, I, I, I'm a believer in um, probably buying and holding. I'm a long-term holder, all right? Mm. Because I think that is where you really maximize economic, social, and spiritual capital. Um, you know, economic capital, we really view, we, we, we view these as not mutually exclusive. If you're going to flourish, you have to have enough of each one of them. You have to be profitable. You have to have great relationships. You, you have to operate your business according to a moral code, okay? The spiritual capital is probably the most important because it gives you the, the rules. It lays down the rules and the guidelines as to how to create economic and social capital, okay? Mm. And I think what's happened in, and I see this particularly in the last few months, when as a country, we used to be a quote unquote Christian company, country, but I think over the last 40 or 50 years, what we have done is we've taken God out of society. We, we, we don't want the impact of God in society. So what happens is when you take God out of society, you create a morality vacuum that has to get filled with something. And typically what happens is G-O-D gets replaced with G-O-V, government. More, <laughs> more rules, more regulations, and consequently you lose freedom. And so... Um, I think it's just really important that you have all of those and they're in somewhat balance. You need enough money, you need a few good friends and you need Jesus. And if you've got those, you're, you're rolling. <laughs> That's right. Well, and the great thing about what you're saying is it's really, it allows us to take our faith and, and not have this quarantined areas that we operate in faith. It's taking I mean, the success we believe we've had in business and helping other companies and communities is taking biblical principles and putting them to play in business. It's not, it, it's not new truth. It's old truth. We're translating it, how it applies to business, but the success of the businesses we're related to is because they're based on biblical truth. Yes, you're, you're exactly right. What I did, and I think what most, a lot of Christian business people do, is we bifurcate our lives. Business, Monday through Saturday, Christianity Sunday, but they, they should be one and the same. Our, our platform, which is our, our purpose should be to honor God. Our passion should be service, excellence, and stewardship. And that results in a platform that really creates economic, social, and, and spiritual capital. And uh, yeah, that, that's just really, this balance of this, this non-bifurcation of how we look at business um, is just critically important. I love how you talk about the story of the Good Samaritan and how that really lays this out. Would you tell us a minute about that, how that actually displays your framework? Yes. So uh, we, we all know the parable of the Good Samaritan. You had a fellow that was um, beat up, robbed, 
absolutely maybe dying at the edge of the road. And you had the priest and the Levite come down the road. And it says they literally walked around him. They avoided him. And I'm thinking in my mind, those two guys are looking over at this guy that's about to die and saying, you know, if he'd just get Jesus, everything would be fine. <laughs> if he just had a little spiritual capital in his life, everything would be fine. <laughs> then you have the Samaritan, the good Samaritan that come down the road. He didn't avoid him. He went over, he picked him up, he took him to the hotel, he bought him a meal and he bought him some time and whatever else. You see, the good Samaritan led with economic capital. He followed with social capital. And guess what happened to the doors of spiritual capital? They probably flew open. Mm. And we have found our business, particularly with um, inmates in a maximum security prison. We employ 200 inmates every day in a maximum security prison. And when, if we would have gone in there, um, I will tell you, we've been doing this now for 14 years. Within about six months of being in that prison, I came up with the idea that we needed a, a vision for these men to grab a hold of. And I, I remember standing before them. Once a month, we do a leadership lunch with these guys, and we talk about leadership, values, virtues, whatever. And one of my lunches, I said, I'm going to cast a big vision for these guys. And the vision was this. We're going to have the best prison in the United States of America. And there was about 30 or 40 guys out there at that point in time. And they literally started laughing out loud at me. They just laughed. They wanted to, they laughed me off the stage as it were. And I said, wait a minute, guys. Uh, the reason, the, the way we can have the best prison in the United States, if you become the best inmates in the United States, my promise to you is that I am here to help you become all that God wants you to become and to become the best inmate you can become, and we will have the best prison. It took about six months, but all of a sudden, because of the things that we did, leading with economic capital, giving them great jobs, um, leading with social capital. When I go into the prison, I start at one end, and I walk the floor, and I shake the hand of every inmate that's in there every time I go in there, almost every time. And what that shows them is that, quote, unquote, the boss man cares about me. Mm. I'm building relationships. So when I stand before them, I've given them a good job. I've treated them like a human being. And they're saying, why is this guy doing this? And I love it. And, and you know, we have to circle back then since you brought it up. And I know our folks is good. One of my favorite things is you operate one of your businesses inside of a maximum security prison, which is a unique thing to say the least. I always love when we started our construction company, we used work release guys. And I said, they never laid out on me. Those guys were showing up. They were waiting for me when I got there and when I took them back. But tell us how you've used the business of Seat King and to be an impact inside of a very difficult environment to make a difference in the way you're doing and, and how that's creating social, spiritual, and economic capital. Sure. So if we just break down those three forms of capital, economically, we give them a good job. Uh, in fact, we don't even set their wage. Uh, the state of Kansas does. They'll look at the prevailing wage rate for a welder or a, um, a sewer or a, an assembler. And so we'll pay 10 to $15 an hour. We pay as, uh, we, have a, we have a handful of men making over $50,000 a year because they're running and doing very sophisticated computer-aided design uh, uh, workforce, okay? Mm. So pay them fair market 
wages. So number one, economically, this is really good for an inmate. If he doesn't work for us, making 10 or $15 an hour, he'll work for the state of Kansas and make 50 cents per day. Wow. Which is $100 per day. So the difference just in that wage rate is amazing. The second thing, uh, so it's good for the inmate. It's good for us because we get a ready-made workforce that these guys work really hard for us, okay? It's good for the state of Kansas because the state of Kansas takes 25% of their wage off the top for room and board. Our 200 inmates will pay back to the state of Kansas last year over $1.2 million in room and board. And so, um, and it's good for the inmates' families. They send that money home. They, uh, they take out taxes. They take out uh, restitution. They take out alimony, whatever, out of this. A lot of these guys only net 2 or $3 an hour after everything is taken out, okay? But it still beats the heck out of 50 cents a day. So I had a, uh, had a gentleman come up to me a few months ago, and he said, Pete, I've got 30 days left in here. And I wanted, I really want to thank you for what you've done for me. He said, there's two things I want to tell you. One is I just finished paying off my $12,000 restitution from robbing a store. Mm. And I did that because I had this job. Number two, and he gives me a graduation announcement from his daughter, daughter's graduation from college. And he said, I was able to pay for her college education because of this job. Mm. The personal responsibility the self-confidence these men get from having a job. We have very high expectations of these guys. We work them hard. Okay. But boy, it really pays economically. Socially, we come along, we have all kinds of things. We have, um, we have a, our own learning platform in our business. We have 15,000 hours of education available to inmates. So you can get a black belt in manufacturing. You can learn how to start your own business. Um, we use a lot of, uh, right now media has been a great partner with us. We have all of the right now media stuff available to all of our team members, including our inmates. And so we do, we pour into them. We have leadership lunches, et cetera. And then spiritually, you know, we, we talk with them when they want to talk, we go one-on-one and we get a lot of opportunities to do that. We've also started a seminary in the prison. We've graduated eight. We've got another 23 in tow. And we're, uh, we've just, we're just in the next month or two, we'll finish a million dollar church that we've built inside of the prison. So wow. the church is full. Uh, the, the seminary students are doing work that we just would never have believed could have happened. It's, uh, it's amazing. And what is the state of Kansas like? What are some of the things they've said about this? I mean, I know it must have, it must have been a bit risky. I know they do these kind of things, some in prisons, but they must have had no vision for what you were dreaming or what y'all were going to pull off there. Yeah. Actually, John, uh, Kansas is one of the leaders in private industry in prison. Okay. Now we've definitely come alongside of them and really promoted this. So there's 10,000 inmates in Kansas, 800 have jobs in private industry. Okay. 200 of those 800 work for us. So there's 600 other workers in employed by seven or eight other private industries that either take, that includes work release where they come out of the prison and work, or they literally have, there are three or four other businesses actually inside of prisons in Kansas. So 
recidivism rates, the rate that inmates go back to prison over a five-year time, 65% nationally, wow. 35% in Kansas. And we've just done, we've just completed our own internal survey of 88 men who've worked for us over the last five years and have re come back. There's been five. So we're at about 7%. So the numbers are staggering. Man, meaningful work. God had something woven up in meaningful work for us. It's so much a part of who he is and what he cares about. Yeah. I never understood the importance of work. I'm a farm kid. I grew up working. I just thought that everybody did it. Uh, it's so amazing to talk to our guys because a lot of these guys are 30, 35 years old, and they will say, I have never had a job in my life. Hmm. I did drugs. I robbed. I did this. I did that. I lived on welfare. And they will tell you to have a job, to come to work every day, the self-fulfillment, the, the, the pride that they have uh, is just incredible. It's wonderful. I love it. I love the fact that you're putting that to practice there. So tell us a little bit about um, Seat King's product. And then I want to jump. Of course, we got two other companies and long way to go in a short time to get there. So so Seat King manufactures industrial seating, primarily for the off-road industries. So if you have purchased a zero-turn lawnmower in the last year or two, there's a probably a 60 or 70% chance you're sitting on one of the seats made by an inmate that I just talked about, okay? Uh, and so, yeah, we, build, uh, we will build um, maybe 400,000 seats this year. Most, wow. of those, most of those will go on off-road equipment. That is awesome. So tell us about Electrics, the wiring harness. Yeah. We've owned Electrics since the early 90s, and it builds electrical assemblies, primarily wiring harnesses, control panels. So of the 200 inmates that we have in uh, the prison in Hutchinson, we actually are in two different prisons in Hutchinson. So we have about 100 men that work for Seat King, uh, in the prison. And we have another hundred men that build wiring harnesses for us in prison. Okay. And then we have about 600 folks that work for us in Zacatecas, Mexico, and they're building uh, wiring harnesses and doing some seat components also for us. And then we have about a hundred civilians that work uh, in Hutchinson, Kansas for both of the companies doing sales, marketing, administration, accounting, those kinds of things. So, um, uh, the product for uh, electrics is actually we bought, we did the seat company because most everything that has a wiring harness on it, a lawnmower, a tractor, a school bus or whatever also has a seat on it. And so we said, uh, if people like us building wiring harnesses, they may, maybe we could build seats and just put the seat and the wiring harness together. And here we go. So that's how we got in the seat business. <laughs> that sounds too simple. <laughs> I love it. You, uh, uh, you know, when, when you think about things, I think how in the world do you get where you're going? And I think it is part, you have to be crazy enough to believe you can. So in the crazy department, I think the hydropower has to be one of my most, that seems outside of, uh, outside of the normal thing that you would dream up. How in the world do you get in the hydro energy business? Yeah. So, um, John, we have this um, philosophy of life driven by the triple bottom line. And then we have 
really four key values that drive that. And we have worked for 25 years on this philosophy. It's very simple, but I really believe it's been the key to it's been the key to our success. And so I, I literally wanted to try this offshore. Does, if it works in America, will it work someplace else? So I spent uh, three weeks traveling Africa in 2006 looking for businesses because I thought Africa would be a great place to just do, dip, do, do businesses for the purpose of catalyzing fear, uh, flourishing, okay? Africa wound up just being too far away. We're more of a hands-on outfit. So uh, within a year or so, I was invited to go to Honduras. <clears throat> and this was in 2011, I guess. Uh, I was asked to go look at a project down there, which I did. I met a man who was in the hydroelectric business. Uh, I began to investigate that. We'd spent about a year looking at that. Um, electricity is one of the foundational things that a country has to have for flourishing. Okay. Um, and then there's all these other reasons to do it. Can you do it cleanly? Can you do it where it's environmentally sound? Uh, can you employ people? And when we put all the things together, it met all the criteria we wanted. So we formed a company, uh, a development company. We've got four hydroelectric sites. Uh, we've, we found four different places and have engineered four different uh, hydroelectric projects. One is up and running. One was ready to break ground four years ago and we've been on hold for four years because uh, Honduras decided vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the, at the encouragement of the International Monetary Fund that they needed to privatize their, or privatize their electrical grid and distribution system. So we've been on hold for four years, but we're now ready to, to start project number two. So essentially what we do, when you think of hydroelectricity, you typically think of Hoover Dam, mm -hmm. that is what we call a dam project, D-A-M project. <laughs> and so there are run of river projects and we're doing run of river. We go up in the mountains, we wear off the water, we run it alongside the mountain for a mile or two, and then we turn it downhill into a pressurized pipe at the bottom of that pressurized pipe is a turbine that we spin with the water. It spins a generator. We create electricity. We dump it on the national grid and dump the water back into the river. Outstanding. That is great. It's, it's, it's such an interesting project and listening to you over the years as we've talked about how difficult it was to get that going. Um, it's just a testament. But do you feel like it's accomplished the social, spiritual and economic capital you had hoped for there? It has. Uh, it's been interesting. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, we were having trouble getting one of our projects financed because the energy agency of the government was not known for paying bills timely. Uh, bill, uh, not paying their, uh, there are private hydro operators in Honduras, but they're always slow to pay those guys. Okay. So we were having a difficult time getting financing and we were ready to break ground and the bank just changed their mind on us. And they said, well, the government's kind of gone sideways on us. So I called our on-ground partner in Honduras and said, Jose, what do we need to do to straighten this out? He says, you know, I've got a good, my good friend is actually president of the, the Honduran Congress. He says, let me talk to him. The next day, Jose called me and said, could you be down here in two days? We have a meeting with the president of the country. And I said, uh, well, certainly, we'll certainly do that. And 
Come to find out the reason we got that meeting with the president of the country is there's a little video out, a little seven minute video out done by Jenner's giving on our prison operation, okay? The prison situation in Honduras was a wreck. And Jose shared that video with the president of the Congress who was impressed by what was in that video, gave it to the president of the country who watched the video. And I got a meeting with the president of the country, not to talk about hydro, but to talk about how to change the prison system in Honduras. So it's, it's incredible how God works. He took a bunch of inmates in Hutchinson, Kansas, and only because of them was I able to get in front of the president of a country. See how that works? It's, it's divine. I mean, it's, it's unreal. What I thought was interesting about that, and we'll drill down a minute. When you told me about the what a prison looked like in Honduras, I've never forgotten it. Yes. They are 40-foot shipping containers where they cut out two holes, eight by eight foot holes in the side of the containers. They take the metal that came out of those holes, swing them inside and weld them in as walls. So you now have three separate quote unquote rooms inside of this container. And then they take rebar and they just weld rebar across the holes and they stack these containers four and five high and put men in them. And if they're lucky, they'll put a some kind of a hokey pokey roof on the top of them to keep the water out and the sun out. There's no air conditioning. The, the facilities are terrible. So I will, I will say that Honduras has been working diligently to try to correct that, that problem. It's, it's unimaginable, isn't it? Yes. I tell you, it's, it's, it's incredible how, I mean, there's, there's so many things that we have opportunity to, we never know what's a, opportunity to the next thing. I mean, your prison work gave you opportunity with the hydro yes. work. And now all that has come back to where you have the opportunity to add value to others, which I know is really your focus now to take these principles that have helped you be successful in business and do things and, and teach teach businessmen how to do this. So let's drill down a little bit into that. It's It's easy to measure economic capital. And so walk us through kind of how you measure, how you designed the, the framework you're working on for economic capital and then for social and spiritual, those big overarching questions and those things that you drill down on to help, help us get our mind around. Like if you were taking a business through this process. Yes. So there are really three components to, a, to, the, to be a successful business, we believe. One is you have to understand your purpose. That's answering the why question of business. Why am I in business? The second question you have to ask is who am I serving in business? And that's your strategy question. If you can answer who is your customer and what do they want, you will and, and really understand the problem of the customer and have a unique solution, you will have a great strategy for your business. The third area, the third question you have to ask, number one is why am I in business? Number two is who am I serving? Number three is how am I serving? That's the operational piece of your business, okay? And you just have to work through how to serve them with excellence. And the last question is what am I trying to, what is my impact? What is, what is the profit that I'm really trying to create, okay? And that is uh, what we call execution. So you have... When you execute, 
what we want to execute on is not purely to maximize financial gain, but to create economic, social, and spiritual capital. So we have a system where we have a very detailed, we go through your purpose, strategy, operations, and execution financially, okay? We go through your purpose, your strategy, your operations, and your execution socially and spiritually. You literally have a social and spiritual plan for your business. Now, here's what we do. We have this rule. We measure, the, we measure economic capital by the net operating income, by net, by the bottom line of the business. There's no better way to do that, okay? So you just, we measure economic capital by looking at net operating income. We measure the output of all of our efforts. Socially and spiritually, it's difficult to measure outputs, but it's easy to measure inputs. So, if you want to create social and spiritual capital, what are things you do? You have Bible studies, you encourage people, you have lunches, you have vision talks, you have, you send people on um, mission trips, you, you love them like you love yourself, you have um, the best benefits, you have the best health care, you have chaplains on, uh, in your business, you have, um, we have fun days. We literally build, uh, we have a human foosball court that is 30 feet by 60 feet. And we put 20 employees in there and play human foosball. We have a pickleball court inside of our building. We have our own weight room inside of our building. So if you are, we want you to flourish. Okay. So we have all of these things that we offer socially and spiritually to encourage you. Now, do we measure the outputs of that? We, we have a few, we, we measure our inputs and we are sensitive to our outputs. And the output is how many people are taking advantage of what we offer. That is right. Really is, it, is it converting? Are they, it, it, we know if they have the experience, let's say if they, if they play a team sport there at the pickleball court, however many people participate, they're yeah. connecting with others. That's social capital, right? Exactly. And then, of course, you just see that the church in the prison is full. You know that 60 people, 60 inmates have come to Christ last year. I can tell you that I had a 25-year employee and a 27-year employee who I've talked to for 25 and 27 years about Jesus last year, call me up and said, can I talk to you? And when I met them, they said, Pete, I've accepted Christ. Hmm. So this is a long, it's a long is, game and it's loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Do for them what you would do for yourself. When you do that, great things happen. I love that too. Two things I love is that you're teaching us and we can immediately start measuring our inputs. We could start a, you know, start a mentoring group or we can start a cohort in our company where we start talking to people just about, you know, talk to them about their personal finances, if they want to get information on that or investing or whatever, we can start adding value. And that's what I hear you saying about the social and the spiritual is start with something and, yeah. and, and see who participates. And once it's working, go big on it. Exactly. And if it doesn't work, drop it. Right. You know, things we've done is with right now media, as I shared. Okay. So one of the things we're 
contemplating doing, and I think we'll do that, every quarter we're going to require that you spend two hours learning on Right Now Media something. We're going to dictate one hour of that, and then you have one hour of your own to go look at whatever you want. Now, what we're going to dictate is this quarter, we're going to maybe focus on personal finance. Next quarter, family relationships. Third quarter, something else, okay? So it's things that people need, and there will be a hint of biblic biblical truth in all of these, okay? Wow. And we're really excited about what the benefits of all that. It's really critical. We have one client now that even a small new startup that he has got, we've got a, um, a personal learning plan for each person in this eight person company. And we're working with them to see them grow and something. And we, we tell them if you're not excited and learning and being encouraged, it's not working. Let's keep pivoting. If you don't like reading books, let's listen to them. If you like watching videos or doing this, let's find a way to get you growing because the happiest people are growing people. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head, John. Yeah. And, and we want that for, for each person and no company's too small, but you've kind of targeted a, a size of a company that you think you can really make an impact in. And you're starting to consider how do you apply this? I know you get people reach out to you. What, what size company are you really looking at now for, where you can make an impact and provide things. And I know it works up and down um, from, from very small companies to very large companies, but I think you've got a sweet spot you're planning on rolling out this next series of business to. Yes, we, would, we will help any company, but we would really like to target uh, probably the 40 or 50 employees and up. I think as you begin to grow as companies, there are levels um, we talk about the 1 million, the 13131 levels, mm -hmm. 300,000, 1 million, 3 million, 10 million. At each one of those levels, your culture and your leadership has to change. It's just a fact of life. So as you get into three, 10, $30 million types of companies, you really have to think about leadership and stewardship and managership and lordship a bit differently. It's, it's crucial. And, and it, it, I love what you say, if, if you're going to run a, uh, if you're going to run a righteous and, and a faithful company, you've got to be, have be filled with faithful leaders, right? Yes. You can't have a transformed company without transformed leadership. So the first, the starting point is to make sure that you as the leader or you as one of the leaders in the company is personally transformed and committed to living it out because if you don't do it, it certainly will not translate into the company. Yeah, I think uh, I think we say this for towns, but also for companies. Um, it's like a wheelbarrow; somebody's got to push it. We need a champion of yeah. what's happening in the company, and if you want to have a company that operates, be a person of peace. Be a person that's bringing the truth into that company. When we go into a city. And we're trying to say, how do you go into all these different companies and cities and impact them? I said, I'm looking for a person of peace. Because peace is not just a condition, it's a person. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And so we're looking for people who have this peace because that's what the world calls happiness. They're looking for peace that passes yeah. understanding. And uh, we have the opportunity to share that with people in this gospel truth. 
and they can have it no matter what their circumstances are. Yes. That's the power of the story. So it sounds too good to be true. I said, I couldn't give you a better explanation of the story. Yes. And in business, which is typically the driver of unpeaceful situations, okay, because we're so profit driven, we're always pushing, we're shoving, I need more, blah, blah, blah. Growth, growth. I meant what's the percentage this year? It's scale without any, I mean, it's just forever. Exactly. And my love language is acts of service. So if you just get her done, you and I are going to be fine. I love get her done people. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> um, we step on toes, we hurt feelings and that's, you know, we've got to be better. I've got to be better at that. Yeah. Yeah. And it is hard and you have to be, you know, it's funny. I had a coach tell me one time, John, what if you, what if you had a compassionate view of yourself? realizing you're going to have to keep changing, learning and growing. Have me write a story to 30 year old John and say, I see you and, and I see what you're going through and you're doing a pretty good job. You can't imagine what God's going to do with you. If you'll just trust and keep trying. Um, yeah. Are you, I know you're, you're getting a little bit older and uh, at this season of your life, are you more excited than you've ever been about what you're about to do? Yes. Uh, I just turned 69. I stepped down from um, most all operating duties in our companies three years ago. So I spent the last three years saying, you know, developing tools and systems to say, how can we take what we've learned for 25 years on being businesses, a catalyst for flourishing and help other businesses do that. And I'm, I am really excited about, I believe the next 10 years of my life, Lord willing, will be more productive for the kingdom than the first 69 years. I absolutely believe that. Now, the the only thing standing in the way of that is me. <laughs> if I can get out of the way of that, it's going to be a great run. Isn't that true for all of us? I've, one of my mentors always said, John, you remember that little Pogo cartoon? He said, one of them times he stood in the mirror and he said, I have seen the enemy and it is me. <laughs> and so, so many times we have to do that. Well, I'm going to leave, I'm going to make sure in the links below, we have all the different resources. How do you get in touch with your company, your book, the great video done on the prison ministry uh, through NCF. Also the, uh, the deal maker uh, kind of short documentary you've done all these fun things that, that you've been able to, through your friends, share and share what y'all are doing. We always ask three questions to kind of land the plane. And, and, and I want to ask these in kind of quick order here. Number one, Pete, what have you read that we should read? The U.S. Constitution. I've just, uh, I have not read that document for a number of years. And of course, with all the political turmoil, I'd kind of forgotten about it. I'd mm. kind of forgotten what was in that. And I do believe it is a not necessarily a God-inspired document, but a um, it's an it's a God it's a God-driven document, and it's very powerful. And I would just really encourage people. It takes thirty minutes to read it or less. It's a little pamphlet, and it's it is it's just it's worth reading and worth meditating on. Mm. Great encouragement. I, as you were saying that, I think of what our friend Steve Garber said. He said, they're signposts. 
So maybe the Constitution's a signpost of God's goodness in forming this little patch of dirt we're stewarding. Yes. So exactly. that's good stuff. So who do you know doing good work in the world? Somebody you say, hey, I wanted to highlight these folks. They're doing something worth watching. Yeah. So I've got a lot of them and I could probably give you a five minute list. But um, one that you and I have talked about, John, and it's Bob Beal. Ooh, you touched and, my heart on that one. Yeah. And you turned me on to him. I never knew he existed. And now I, I did buy like 20 of his books. I'm like eight or 10 through. So I'm just, it's, they add value, everything the guy's doing. Yes. And the reason I like Bob is I'm a question guy. I believe, um, don't, don't worry about the answers. Worry about the right question. Okay. We don't ask, we don't ask the right questions. So really making wise decisions is about asking the right questions. And Bob does an, a magnificent job of getting you to think about asking the right question. He has, he's been very instrumental in how I think about life. So Bob, uh, Bob Beal, um, look him up and, We'll put links in the show notes. And I found a lot of great videos by him that's added value. Um, and so I'll, I'll include those. And then the last thing is, where have you been that we should go? Uh, a maximum security prison. Hmm. Uh, it's eye-opening. It's sobering. Hopefully it would be inspirational. Uh, hopefully it would inspire you to say we need to help the least of the least. And so of all the places that I've been in all my life, it's probably had the greatest, it has had the greatest impact on me. And of course, now I've not been in the prison for nine months because of COVID. Okay. And I really, really miss that place. So I'm really anxious to get back in because it just, uh, it resets my North Star. Well, Pete, you know I love you. You're, I think you're, uh, you're one of the most interesting guys, and you've added, ex, you know, tremendous value to my life and getting to be your friend. And I, I thank you for taking a little time to be on the podcast today to share some of the things. And and I look forward to getting to have you back and us be able to share more about the new book coming out though, and work around the high impact business. Well, John, you, you have been a great encouragement to me. As you know, you've helped me through ups and downs and tenuous situations. And what is so great about all of this is that iron truly sharpens iron. And uh, so keep up the good work. We're grateful that uh, God's given us friends to do this work along with and, and to walk with. If, you've, if this added value, please make sure to share it. And we'd appreciate you reviewing us on iTunes and also um, check out the notes. There's going to be a lot of great things in there and links you can check out that will add value. Look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thank you for listening to the Redemptification Podcast.